Father, as we hear that word from your Son, Jesus, we, we are humbled and we are drawn up with the promise of what you, you offer us, but also the responsibility you offer us, the invitation uh, to walk in your ways and to follow you. And to walk in your ways according to where you lead, not where we prefer to go. And so we pray that you would so fill us with your word this morning that we would desire to follow you, desire to share you, desire to give our lives for you. And we thank you that you have first loved us and therefore you meet us wherever we are this morning. So will your Holy Spirit please take this word and make it live in our hearts and lives that we might live for you to Jesus' honour and glory. Amen. So there's just this hum of excitement around here, I can sense it, can you? There's just buzz of anticipation. Man. Jesus, uh, you know, God's been speaking to us and we're going to be reflecting on what God's been saying. One of the things that uh, He's been speaking through our dreams and visions that we first began to be encouraged to pursue with um, David Shadbolt, you know, um, oh, in May. And uh, we've been reflecting on that. And one of the things that, uh, the reasons we're, we're taking seriously this whole call to listen to God in more than just one way is because we're so apt to define God by our lives and our experiences. And I believe one of the core things that the Lord is saying to us is let me define you by me rather than you define me. In other words, let God define himself to us rather than we try and work out God and fit him into our boxes. And our default position is always to reduce God down to some intellectual, minuscule little understanding that we have. And the consequence is that we, we fixate on information, not relationship with Jesus, and we end up with a very dry gospel and a very ineffective gospel and a very boring gospel. Because fundamentally we are pretty insecure and pretty unimaginative. And so we, we're, we're agreeing with Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 where he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the spirit, his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power not just understanding power to change power to live and power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. And I actually believe with all my being that God is screaming that to us. He's screaming that to us to say, if you only knew the immeasurably more that I have to give and share, if you would only allow me to, to draw you into that, but you have to allow me to touch your heart in order to draw you there. Because your head cannot comprehend it. And it's not about sacrificing your intellect. And it's not about becoming emotionally crazy. It's just about understanding how the Spirit of God works. And when God begins to ignite our hearts with His love and His power and His presence, it changes our lives. 
When, he fill, when our minds are filled with understanding about Jesus, it changes very little. You and I know that. And therefore, if we want to be uh, a people who are empowered by the Spirit of God, we need to make a choice of entering into that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we do that? The one thing that's not going to happen is it's not going to happen sitting with my arms folded saying, Jesus, here I am, do whatever you want. It's going to be with us engaging. And one of the words God is speaking about and through, I believe, is the, there's, a, there's a verse in Isaiah 62 and I'm going to go through a couple of things that he's saying and, um, which is about passing through the gates. We've been talking a lot about gates Isaiah 62.10 says, Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. And that pass through the gates is an invitation. God says, I've built the gates. So come. And in our Western culture and in our traditional church, I mean, we want a conveyor belt to take us there with the minimum of effort. It's not going to happen. So I'm speaking with a bit of passion this morning and exhortation to say, get up, move, go, it's there. It's ours for the taking. Right? Good. So, how do we do that? We do that by starting by saying, Lord, I need more of you. One of the reasons we have prayer at the back of the church during communion is not for when I'm in crisis I go and get prayer. It's for, peop- for us to learn how to pray over one another and say, Lord, here I am. Unlock in me anything that you see so that I can become more open to you and available to you. It's about yielding control to Jesus and saying, Lord, here I am. So what do I do? I step up and I say, please pray for me that God might do more in me. It's that posture that Jesus can work with. That's how he will touch my heart. Humility, openness, availability, and getting on my two little pins and walking somewhere and saying, here I am. It looks simple, it is simple, it looks very unspiritual, it is very unspiritual, but it's amazing how effective it is. Positioning ourselves. When we come before worship, and I go, I don't feel like it, and my spirit says, well, learn to feel like it. I will challenge, I always do this with us, and I say, if If your expression before the living God is more inhibited than at a hockey game when they've just scored the winning goal, you've got issues. If you are unable to emotionally be expressive when we gather before the living God in worship, but at hockey games or ball games or football games or anything else, you are the first one jumping around saying high-fiving, you've got issues. And I would say to you, God isn't God for you. Whatever you express yourself in is your worship. Well, I don't do that kind of thing. Well, that's cool. I never did either. And I was terrified of it. And this isn't even what I was meant to be talking about. (laughs) And I found as I actually did the action, the rest came. Because I was terrified of doing the action. I was embarrassed and shy and insecure. And I mean that absolutely seriously. There's not one thing that I have learned in the Christian faith that is out there that has come naturally. It's all come by making a decision to do it, including learning to speak in public. 
And I want to exhort you because there are too many of us who are sitting here waiting for something. You've got to get up and you've got to do stuff. Because the times are urgent and the times are now and that God is speaking to us now. And this is not berating you. Believe me, it's, it's, it's exhorting you, which is different. It's prodding you and saying, get up and do stuff. That's you, not the person next to you, it's you. Whatever that means, I have no idea what that means. But if we want to see God's Spirit working in this place, you are being called by God. Not the person next to you, and you're not going to get an excuse of when the person next to me sorts out their life, then I will be free to do it, because they're really inhibiting me right now. It's not acceptable. The key to your growth is you standing up and just going, Lord, whatever it takes, I want it. And I tell you, it'll be fun. Well, that wasn't even in the script. So, I don't know. I'm sorry. So, I'm going to read you a dream that came... uh, Well, actually, it is in the script because, you know, the point is... We're asking God to speak to us and I believe one of the things God's going to do... Uh, is he says, well, I will speak, but then I want to see what happens when I do speak. And so, we've been sitting on this dream and this word for the last two months. Um, And I believe I need to speak to this today and next week. And it's a wonderful word, it's a dream that Megan had, and I have to mention the name because when I read it, one of her sons is in the dream. Um, and it's a, a word of encouragement and love and power to this body. We sent it to, to David Shadwell to, and asked, is this just for you know, Megan and Dave? Which it is, of course, but uh, it's actually for the family of the church. And he also submitted it to somebody in London who, whose gift is, is looking at dreams. So we've, we're taking this seriously, that Isaiah passage is serious. The gates are open. We, officially, we, we formally stood here two weeks ago and said, Lord... Uh, open the gates, lift high, lift high your head, your ancient gates, let the King of Glory come in. We're taking that seriously. Not messing around. Because there are people who are blind and sick and lame and teenagers, everybody who need to know Jesus in much more than just an intellectual Bible study on a Tuesday afternoon. How boring is that? About life. So this is the dream. In my dream, a man was speaking falsely about God in such a way that I began to pray in tongues. As I prayed, the man began to speak unintelligibly so that no one was able to understand what he was saying. Next there came a murmuring or mild thunder sounding on, next there came a murmuring or mild thunder sounds only it wasn't thunder. Then an angel appeared in human form and said to us, "The heavens and the earth will collide," and told us to read Thessalonians 1. It was difficult to hear and so Ethan, my 9-year-old son, asked What is it we're supposed to read? And the angel replied, Thessalonians 1. Then a man standing next to us tried to touch the angel, and we told him not to, as if it were he were afraid that as if we were afraid he would take the power away from the angel. The man didn't touch the angel and left saying, I could be making a deal. After the angel left we started walking across some land, and the land alternated between desert and water. We would walk across the desert and through the water even if it was over our head. We used hollow sticks for breathing. And that was the end of the dream. And this is the, some of the interpretation. 
The dream reveals what happens when the natural and the supernatural come into conflict. The heaven and earth colliding, which is what happened with Jesus. There will be those who will speak falsely by trying to explain away what God is doing supernaturally. And there will be others who will be drawn into the manifestations and miss the real deal with God. There will be times when God doesn't seem to be doing anything supernatural at all and other situations when you feel like you're in over your heads. However, the dream is to encourage you that you're on the right track and through all of what God is doing in this season, keep Thessalonians 1 as the foundation and you can't go wrong. And then an interesting aside, also Ethan, the name of his son, means firmness and steadfastness in truth. And 9 means fruitful. So staying steadfast and firm in the truth will lead to fruitfulness. God wants to do more than what we've done in the past. But it's not hype. And it's not gimmicks. And it's not emotions. It's the power of the Spirit to make the words of Jesus alive among us. That's our mandate. And heaven and earth collide when we start taking that seriously because that's why we've been talking about the prison camp. Intuitively, we, re- we, we, we resist that, don't we? We struggle with this stuff. On the other hand, we're thirsty for it. So we're going to look uh, at, at, at 1 Thessalonians and just see what we can get out of that. And if I could give you a, a heading for 1 Thessalonians... It would be, in the spiritual realm, eat your vegetables. (laughs) And what does that mean? It means there's some basic truths at the core of Christianity that we need to continually practice. Eat your vegetables. Don't get stuck on dreams. Don't get stuck on the gifts of the Spirit. Don't get stuck on other stuff if you don't eat your vegetables because you're going to get way too screwed up. And Paul is writing to a young church and when we we unpack Thessalonians, it's incredible what these guys did with what they had. I've been thinking a lot about that, you know, that the early church, most of them couldn't read and write. Certainly the disciples, most of them couldn't. And yet they accomplished so much and we who have so many resources are so stifled in what we accomplish because with our resources we feed our heads and with the resources they had, they had to go on life experience in the Spirit of God. There's a clue there, I think. So let's uh, see where Paul... Paul was going on a second, his second missionary journey. Have you got a PowerPoint there? I, I went to a lot of trouble to show you this. We're going to Greece, I think. Uh, we're having a little... T- delay turbulence on our way there but Brad the pilot rescued Gene the co-pilot that's teamwork okay this is the Paul's first second missionary journey we're not going to spend a lot of time on this uh, you can see down at the bottom there's Israel uh, and we go up through Asia to uh, number five is where Thessalonica is Thessalonica and that's where, that's where Paul visited. Next slide, please. It's just another sort of mountainous region of Thessalonica. It's on a harbour. And uh, next one, please. 
Next one. We've. I've already gone through that. That's all right. There's no problem. Brad just likes attention, so he doesn't tell Jean everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean, that's cool. Thanks, Brad. Um, this is Thessalonica from a mountain, I guess. Um, it's pretty, pretty neat harbor. And then the next one's just uh, the the harbor itself. Paul was, um, he traveled here and he had a, quite a turbulent time. He, he was on these missionary journeys probably 12 to 14 years, 14 years after he was converted. Do you want to just finish this so that uh, Jean doesn't have a heart attack? That's all right. Okay, we're going to stay there in the harbor for a while. He was, he, he was imprisoned in Philippi, Philippi or Philippi and uh, you remember he, he escaped from jail and he was kicked out of the city and he came to Thessalonica in about 49 BC. It was the capital province of Macedonia and the whole history of that region is about Alexander the Great who said he was going to conquer the world and then wept because there was nothing more to conquer. And Paul must have felt, you know, seen this. Uh, Thessalonica is, is named after Alexander's daughter. And the whole region would have been steeped in that history and that conquest, that sense of domination of the world. And Thessalonica was on a strategic, very strategic place in the world at that time, the Via Ignatia, which was a, a road linking Rome the east and west met in Thessalonica. So if you controlled Thessalonica, or if you got influence in Thessalonica, you would actually expand across the known world at the time. Very strategically significant for the spread of the Christian gospel, as were the Roman roads and the Romans' infrastructure. Yes, John? I'm talking about AD, yes. 49 AD, sorry. Yeah. So, Paul arrived at this place, uh, Thessalonica, and he spent three weeks there. We know that from Acts, where they said he spent three weeks. In fact, if you look in Acts 17, is the account of Paul being there. And he spent uh, three Sabbaths talking to them. They, uh, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on, the th- on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, and the result was that Paul was hounded out of town after three weeks there. Three weeks. And they planted a church. And they also nearly lost their lives. How effective would the ministry be here? You've got three weeks and then you've got to get out of town. And if, we don't, if you don't, we'll kill you. What did they have that made the difference? And so Paul arrives, he goes to another place, and the mob follow him. 
And they go to, and eventually ends up in Athens, and he speaks in Athens, and they kind of pretty lukewarm to him, and he arrives back in Corinth, and he's a he's a dejected puppy. He's been he's been hounded throughout his missionary journey, and he's going. Has anything been worthwhile? Has anything happened that has actually been worthwhile here? So Paul went to that kind of length because he believed that Jesus was Lord and he believed that this God uh, that he had met on the Damascus Road was the one true God. It was worth laying down his life for. I think that we are not going to make an impact in Port Alberni and we're not going to make an impact anywhere until we come to a renewed conviction of the place of Jesus in our lives. I think some of us are really comfortable with Jesus. I think some of us treat him like an old friend or a servant. But I don't know whether he's Lord. And I believe God's saying to us, if you want me to work, if you want me to be present in power, then we need to re-establish a relationship that is profound. And this is not about beating us up. It's just saying this is how it works. And our church is built on the blood and the guts of people like Paul. And so he writes to the Thessalonians. Timothy comes back to him. Uh, Paul's, uh, he's this gruff, I think, very difficult character. It gives me a lot of comfort. And there's also this other side uh, that, that is incredibly compassionate and insecure, I think. And, he, and when he gets news that the Thessalonic, th- church in Thessalonica is actually, it's, it's, it's okay, he writes this letter. And he says, uh, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning in you our prayers. We continue to remember you before our God. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Brothers, loved by God, we know that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with the power, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. We live in a spectator realm where we watch others and say it's easy for them and we absolve ourselves. And God's calling us to pass through those gates together and as individuals. So what does Paul say to this young church? What does he observe? Let's take a few uh, a few of, the, of the, the pointers and then we'll continue with it next week. But he says, I rejoice because of the, uh, before our God because of your work produced by faith. The intangible, your faith in Jesus, becomes visible in the tangible. Your faith produces works. But it's really important to hear that it's out of the faith come the works. In our culture, it's works equals faith. It's not true. God doesn't need or want you or I to do anything for Him. Thank you very much. 
He doesn't need us. But he is saying, if I can get your hearts, what you will do out of that place of faith will transform the world. But if you try and transform the world with the stuff about me, you won't get anywhere. My heart has to to live in you. My passion has to live in you. You have to know what it's like to be grabbed by the living God. Repent of your sin. Know that you are a sinner. Know that you are a jar of clay that will never get it together on your own. And say, Jesus, here I am. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Please fill me with your treasure, your life, your meaning. Because when you look at me, you see things I don't see. I mean, God looks at each one of you guys in the front row and He sees a future for you that you would just, go, you would just crawl under the chairs and be embarrassed by. You say, no, 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 no. But if we try and get there from where we are, because we're so self-conscious of all the stuff we aren't, we'll never get there. So we've got to come to the one who sees us as we do not see ourselves and let Him draw us into that. And that's why... Many of us are stuck because we are defining ourselves by our jars of clayness rather than by Him taking hold of us. It's very different. So it starts with faith and that faith leads us to works. And some of us are afraid of saying yes to Jesus because we're scared He's going to say, this has to change in your life. I'd be more afraid if I were you and me If that stays in my life and he loves me as much as he says, my life is going to get really taken to pieces. If not now, down the road. So the gospel came to these guys with deep conviction. Paul sat and opened the scriptures and he spoke and he he shared with them Jesus. What does that tell me? What do I learn from Thessalonians 1 about that? It's something that is so obvious. Everything's about Jesus. Who He is, what He did, His resurrection, and the power He releases by His Spirit. That's it. You know, we counsel each other to death with our wisdom which is usually so sad we can walk alongside each other forever and comfort each other and that's good but we also need to bring each other to Jesus we also need to come to the cross with each other and say let's ask Jesus what he would do here You know, every time I've done that, it feels foolish, it feels silly. But I also see it change lives. So it's a cool silliness. I just learn to not pay attention to my desire to just not do it. Because once I've done it, he always honors it. So faith is about choosing to believe that Jesus is the one who changes lives and positioning myself so that he can actually get in on the action. And that means I bring myself to Jesus with passion and conviction every day and then I bring others to him as well. 
Jesus has got people in your life right now that He wants to speak to through you. And He doesn't need to wait another 24 hours. He just says, if you let me ignite you, I will give you the chances to do it. And you will, that's how you will grow. Faith in the Thessalonians, they're three weeks old and they survived with people telling them that they'd be dead. Why? Because these guys had served idols. They were surrounded by paganism and the Greek worship of idols. They knew the powerlessness of the gods that had been presented to them. Some of our problems are that we want to hold on to the idols in our lives and Jesus. There's not room for both. That's why Jesus said, he said, you know, the the, the way is narrow. Many will say, oh God, I did this, and he says, I don't know you. Remember the time where Jesus said, you know, in the gate it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the eye of a needle than than it it is... more difficult for a rich man to enter through the eye of a needle than it is for the... No, rich man to enter into the heaven than, than the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to enter through an eye of a needle. See, he'll come out in the end with a little help from your friends. <laughs> What's he saying there? The eye of the needle was the little door in the big door of the city. And he was saying, the rich person has so much to get rid of in order to come to me. And we are all rich. So we want to come in with all our stuff on our terms and then we wonder why there's no big power or life in us. We wonder why Christianity isn't vibrant. It's because we haven't bowed to Jesus. We haven't made him Lord. We've just kind of added him on to our collection of friends. And it's kind of nice to hang around maybe on the fringes. And that's why there's no power. And it's an awful place to be because you're sort of lukewarm. And you don't get madly enthusiastic about Christianity. You don't get madly unenthusiastic about it. So it just kind of drifts on. And eventually you drift away. And when you do, you tend to judge everybody else and explain why because of them, you know. There is, there's a job to do and that is for the Thessalonians. They had to turn from their idols and come to Jesus. And for you and me, that's the same. That I consciously say no to my idols and yes to Jesus. That might mean that I go... Lord, help me to let go of my idols. And he's fine with that. It's just being honest and saying, Lord, here I am. I want to be where you want me to be. Will you, by your Spirit, help me to get there? That's all we need to do. Acknowledge our stuff and then ask him to help. And we're running out of time. But Paul said something else. And he said, he said uh, I, I see your... Faith produced by work, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. All of these things, faith, love, and hope, were expressed in tangible ways. Those are the, that's the, um, the vegetables. If I could give any advice these days on my great wisdom about growing in God, It would be pay attention to what's right on your doorstep. What's right in your life right now. If you pay attention to that, everything else will follow. 
But if you look for all kinds of stuff way out there and dream somewhere else and you don't pay attention to what's right on your doorstep, you'll never get to that other place. You'll just fantasize about it. Because, you see, God might be saying to you, yes, I want you to be over there, but in order for you to be over there, I need to build your character over here. And so as you deal with what's right in front of you, I'm actually preparing you to walk into that that's over there. But you're not going to get over there without doing this character development here. That's how it happens and how it works. So the present is our training ground for the future. Always. And that's why we need faith. That's why we need hope. I hope and believe that God has something for us in the future which keeps me focused in the present. But I have to give him control of the future because I'm having enough battle with the present. But I'm going to let him be Lord and I'm just going to try and tackle what's right in front of me today with love and with grace and with the power of Jesus. Let's go to the next slide and that I'm going to wind it up here for today. Because, uh, you know, Paul says to them, you, were, you know, I was thrilled you were imitators of us, which meant they didn't just say, oh, it's easy for you, Paul. They entered into the battle themselves and they suffered for it. This is the uh, slide that we've seen quite a lot of and I think it's a very important slide. It's a slide showing uh, life before the crucifixion, the crucifixion and life after the crucifixion. And before the crucifixion was Jesus, his life and his teaching, and he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And we talked before, and, and, and this is what Paul's talking about and manifesting in Thessalonians, and, and I think it's incredibly important for us. There are three places we can live. The one is on the Jesus with the key and the, the closed door side. That is a, a place you live where you admire Jesus. He was a good teacher. You love the gospel and the stories. You love what he talks about. You admire the disciples. You admire what they did. You admire that everything they did and you say, you know, that's how we should live. And you turn it into sort of good works. And you try and be like them. It's a futile thing, but it's sort of religious. You can go into the center and say, I understand that Jesus actually was leading to the cross and he went to the cross so that basically my sin and my, my weakness would be dealt with and therefore Jesus I thank you that I can come before your cross and I can receive forgiveness and I do that and I do that humbly and willingly and I, and I mean it seriously and I live there I live in a place where I continually come before the Lord with my sin and, my, and, and receive forgiveness and I sort of thank him that I'm loved but you see, the focus of the cross is really still me. The focus is still what I am and what I'm not. And, and it's important, but it's kind of opening the door. And then in Acts with the resurrection and Jesus pours out his spirit, heaven's gate is opened. And to live there and to dance there is what Jesus came for. And that's what he wants the church to be. He says, I want you to take hold of the gospel truths. I want you to take hold of the crucifixion, which is the key. But I want you to come into the life of the Spirit, which is the gateway of heaven. That is where the power of the Spirit is. That's where lives are transformed. 
Jesus lived the only way, Jesus was the only one before the crucifixion who had demonstrated human beings open to the Spirit like was possible afterwards in the resurrection. Does this make sense to you? Dancing in that doorway is living with the power of the Spirit in you. Now what does that mean? Very simply, it means I position myself at the doorway. How do I do that? Simple. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross. I give you my sin. Thank you that you've risen from the dead. Thank you that you've given me your spirit. Here I am. I'm in the doorway. Now release your gifts in me, Lord. Let me live for you. Now what do I wait for? A feeling? No. Lord, I'm living in your doorway today. Thank you that you live in me. I want to encourage you, start praying prayers of thanks. Stop pleading to God. It's pathetic. Stop asking Him for stuff. Start thanking Him that He's giving it to you. He's saying, yes, 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 yes. Lord, help me to love my family more. Stop asking me to help you. Lord, thank you that you're helping me to love my family more. That's better. Thank you that you give me love, even when I don't like Thank you that you empower me. Thank you that you're going to use me today. Bless these people around me, Lord. That's living in the doorway. That's the jar of clay being filled with the treasure that is Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus, alive now. And out of that will come transformation of life. Will come healing, will come power. God will start saying, well, let you lay hands on that person and ask me to heal them. What, me? Yeah, that's the jar of clay talking. Let the treasure come out. You'll always have that. And see what happens. So, passing through the gates and living on fruit and, ve- on, on fruit and vegetables, which is 1 Thessalonians, is what I believe the Lord's saying to us. He's saying, I've given it to you. Here it is. It's not difficult. It's not far away. It's all about you giving me yourself. And then allowing my treasure to be released in you and through you. I'm saying yes. So now what? If he's saying yes and he accepts us, now what? It's get up and walk through. And all that will do will produce the collision of heaven and earth. And why will it collide? Because there's stuff in us that will rise up and say, no. And then he'll say, well, I guess you're going to have to deal with that. I guess you're going to have to confess that. I guess you're going to have to allow that to be dealt with. No more games. It's revealed. It's in the light. We will always cast a shadow in heaven's doorway. Because we are not Jesus. But it will be a whole lot better than anywhere else. And many of us can testify to that. So Father, we bless you that the door is big. Heaven's doors are big. The narrow gate is narrow, but the the doorway is big once we've gone through. And we thank you that uh, you look upon us and you have incredible delight in each of us that is present here. And thank you that you speak to each of our spirits and hearts and say, if you only knew how much I have for you, the visions I have for you, the dreams I have for you, the ministries I have for you, you would be stunned. 
And so we pray, Father, this morning that as we come to break bread, as we worship, that we would give you at least permission to lead us closer into that vision that we can't maybe even see. So that you can work in us what we cannot ask or imagine. Will you release among us the life that is your gift in the risen Lord Jesus? And we bless you for what you will do. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to...